123 of the Better Yet Podcast. I'm Jim Crisp, your host. Better Yet! It's a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Leona Ness. If you know, you know. If you knew, you probably always knew. Ooh, cryptic. We're back. We're back in the swing of things over here. People coming over, people on the way, and the continued 2019 makeover of better yet. New logo and a new couch. Not to get too sentimental, but that floral print couch served us well for so long you saw guest after guest sitting on it with Chloe every week. This weekend, she went to couch heaven. It was time. Time for a change, and a change was made. Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties is sitting on the couch this week. Fantastic interview for y'all. And I could have parlayed that couch conversation into a sponsorship opportunity, but that's not how we do over here. We support this venture on Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to help support the show. Now you can do that by going on over to patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. I've been glossing over this a bit lately. So let me go in a little bit more in depth this week because things have changed pretty significantly. We have a couple tiers of pledging available to you over on Patreon. You can sign up for $2 a month, and you're just saying thanks. It's 50 cents for an episode of the podcast that's already free. It's just a way of saying, hey, like what you're doing, a little goes a long way there, but for $5 a month, that will give you access to a plethora of exclusive audio. Extra audio includes pre- and post-interview content, Spotify playlists, our Patreon-only mini-series, 15 Minutes With You, haircuts and t-shirts, our upcoming true crime series, and this week, a new one with Sarah, where we deconstruct an Illuminati hottie song. That was a lot of fun. We got way, way in-depth on that. Also, plenty of Chloe in there. Chloe picks going up constantly, and the postcard signed by me and Chloe, that will be sent to your door for $10 a month. Now you get all of that 
and a special better yet patch. Very cute take on a hardcore design. And here's a big one. You ready? $20 a month. You get access to the bonus audio, Chloe Picks, postcard, patch, and a bag of coffee once a month. And I'm talking quality stuff here. You know why it's so good? Because I roasted it. And I'm the best coffee roaster in the world. That's $20 a month, including shipping on that coffee. It's a deal and a half. And I encourage you to take advantage of it. Go on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. And before we get into our interview this week, let me lightly touch on some music news from this week. The New York Times published an account of accusations from multiple women about abusive behavior from Ryan Adams. It's a difficult read, but I suggest everyone out there read it. I came away from it feeling so crushed for these women who were subjected to such heinous treatment from this monster who has gone unchecked for so many years and it's hard not to see it and to just feel completely helpless. But I think a lot of good came from those who have pointed out the ways that people have enabled a person like Ryan Adams throughout his life to act in such a way and the call to action to get people to be aware of who they surround themselves with, who you may be consciously or unconsciously enabling. That is all good stuff to carry with us. But I encourage you to take an extra step to consider your own relationships and acknowledge the power dynamics that are at play. Every interaction you have, personal or professional, contains a dynamic of power. Understand these interactions or these relationships in which you have an aspect of power in your favor and understand that exploiting that in any way is not acceptable. Be honest with yourself, be conscious of others, and be open. Remember that your intentions are not worth more than other people's feelings. Okay, God, can we now? Yes? All right? Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties is on the show this week. Illuminati Hotties is a band from Los Angeles, California that popped onto my radar last May when Tiny Engines released the band's debut LP, Kiss Your Frenemies. And while it seemed like they came out of nowhere, the record was so many years in the making, and it comes with a fantastic story. Sarah, the self-proclaimed studio rat, was working a diverse array of audio engineering jobs after college, working with Chris Cody at Sunset Sound. A couple people made records there. And with Chris, Sarah helped engineer Slow Dive's reunion LP, Amen Dunes, Freedom, Pool by Porches, and Sarah was also working engineering jobs for the likes of Macklemore, Lady Gaga, Barbara Streisand, insane life, very dope work. And all the while, Sarah's writing songs and letting this idea percolate, the idea to make a record, and boy, did she. A hell of a record that she produced. It's called Kiss Your Frenemies. It's this eclectic mix of sunshiny California power pop mixed in with some devastating slow-burning tracks. Really a tremendous feat in dynamics and in the build. I was very very excited to talk to Sarah about her recording life and about the energy that went into making this record. Great conversation. So let's get to it. But we'll start with a song. This is parentheses, your better close parentheses than ever, followed by my interview with Sarah Tudson.
by Coach Butcher. And I'm sitting there savoring this this Reuben, and I get through the first half of it, and it's like small, small bites. Just take it all in as much as I can. And then I look up, and I'm like, that's Sharon Van Etten. This was like 2014, 2015. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh. So that second half of the sandwich just goes down in like one and a half bites. <laughs> and then I go over and I'm like, I'm like, hi, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but are you Sharon Van Etten? She's like, yeah. And I was like, love your records. Like, really love Are We There? I just I just had to come over and say hello. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, thank you so much. And I was like, what are you doing in New Orleans? It was a friend's birthday. We had pretty much the greatest conversation ever. <laughs> of course. And then I was like, I was like, well, very nice meeting you. I was wondering if you could sign my book. I was reading As Ellie Dying by William Faulkner. Wow. And she she goes, oh, okay, where? And I was like, oh, right on the title page, right under William Faulkner. Okay, yeah. Can you also just cross his name out? And she was <laughs> like, oh, that feels, I'm like, it doesn't feel anything. You just got to go for it. And she did. So now I got it. That's amazing. And that's the way I walk around here in the, in the city now is I always keep a book around in case somebody famous yeah. comes by. You're in L.A. You probably see famous people all the time, right? They're around. Yeah. They, they kind of just are <laughs> interpolated into the. But Chicago is like that, too. I think there's a lot. Of, I feel like there's a lot of people move to Chicago. No. Eh, well, I, I see Oprah From here? like once a week. Nice. Cusack came into my coffee shop once and he was really weird. <laughs> so he's, like, he's a weird guy all right all right <laughs> <laughs> did you grow up there then la yes yeah. i grew up in la in the valley oh okay um and i live closer like on the east side of town now okay so n- the valley the only thing i know about the valley is the part in clueless when Cher gets <laughs> dropped off there but she yeah. makes it seem like it's like not the best place to be dropped off. I think in Clueless in particular, if I'm remembering correctly, she's like a West Side girl, probably like over uh-huh. near yeah, yeah, Beverly yeah. Hills or San Monica or something. And so definitely I think there is a, once you cross, when you go over the hill uh-huh. from the 405 to the 101. Right. And you're in the valley. You're in the valley. Uh-huh. I think it becomes a point of contention for some sure. people in LA for sure. Especially a domineering father figure like the one in <laughs> Right, exactly. So uh what did your folks do? Um my folks are both lawyers actually. Oh wow. Very sort of low key lawyers. They mm-hmm. you know, they my my mom um is like a freelance contractor at a firm somewhere and my dad uh-huh. runs his own small little practice and it's all pretty low-key stuff. It's like yeah. lawyers, I feel like, always sound scary, but they've, right, right. they've kind of lived a nice, humble, uh-huh. um, law-abiding life, I guess. Sure, and sure. <laughs> are, they still, are they still there? Are they still in LA? Yeah, they still, they're in the house I grew up in. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Mm-hmm. Do you have siblings? Yeah, one sister. Yeah. Grew up there, too. What's her story? Um, She is a few years younger than me, uh-huh. and she, uh, she does like an HR recruiting job for a company oh, okay. and yeah. um, in New York City now. Mm-hmm. So the big apple. A, well, the that's big cool. Apple. Yeah, she like stayed in LA for college and everything. And uh-huh. then at the end of that was kind of like, I'm going to go somewhere else and went to New York. Now we were just talking about this in the kitchen because I, I always ask, was there music in the house growing up? Mm-hmm. And your words, <laughs> um, and I just want to make sure that this, it's what's said on the podcast, but it's my folks like bad music and Stevie Wonder because <laughs> yeah. I was like, did you know that Stevie Wonder is like cool? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that yeah, fucking guy. He's the best. I had he no truly idea. is. Well, I guess I always just like you know, 
it's interesting. I grew up with a lot of music in my house. Like half of these are not mine. They're my oh, dad's. Wow. And I have Stevie Wonder records, but I don't know. He was just, he wasn't played often because mm-hmm. there was other things that were being played. And then he was kind of just one of the, I guess to me like, oh, he's cool, but he's like kind of lame, right? Well, you, you know, there's like the hits. And yeah. it's like a lot of the hits are like the wedding dance right. music. And, and he's like, got like some kind of like real sappy yeah, stuff. A little bit lyrically, I think there are some, I I don't know. I feel like the music gods are going to like strike me with lightning. But I feel like lyrically there are some moments of Stevie Wonder that maybe don't live up to like what Stevie Wonder really is yeah. as a musician and yeah. a writer and uh, you get to you get to some <laughs> of those like ballads on the on the b-sides and, and it's like uh, all right dude mm-hmm. I get it yeah uh, this person does sound truly amazing mm-hmm. but it's that that funky stuff that he was doing and when he's just pushing it songs in the key of life it's it's one of my favorite records I just love these yeah. these moments where they're they find they find the groove mm-hmm. and you look and it's four and a half minutes into the song and then you just see that there's another four minutes and they're just going to keep on going mm-hmm. and going. Yeah. So when did you when did you get, you know, kind of interested in music and more of a, you know, more of a sense than just it was there? I think I was always really interested in it and I think like from a very young age I remember being really I really wanted to take piano lessons when mm-hmm. I was like really 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 young and the only piano teacher that my folks knew about from a friend or whatever was sort of like oh I don't take kids that young because I don't want it to be like babysitting or like teaching them how to read like I uh-huh. want to teach music and I was like definitely at the age I really wanted to do it I think I probably could have handled it and I was already reading and like uh-huh. you know how old were you like I was five, like five when yeah. I really, and then, so I had to wait a year or two and then I started playing piano, but I, I was always really kind of just like writing stupid songs and like uh-huh. hitting just percussion always. stuff and yeah. pots and pans and whatever. Cause yeah. you're, you're kind of like a, a drummer on top of yeah everything really. So when did you start yeah. playing drums? I started playing drums in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like signed up for middle school band and they like ask for your top three, like what you want to play and. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to play drums, and so then I just kept doing it from from there on, and I kind of let the piano stuff fall away a little bit. And you was, still play though? I yeah. I still can play. I don't like I I'll play for the purpose of recording or mm-hmm. whatever. And same with drums too. You know, like I played all through high school, and I played to, to, in order to get into college, and like was a drummer at college. And then when I started getting more in the studio stuff, like that started taking up a lot of time and just like having the knowledge of being able to play instruments mm. yeah, inform yeah. that, but I definitely didn't get to like sit in the practice room with it as much anymore. I feel like drums are the, you know, parents can be supportive in the musical explorations, mm-hmm. but it kind of takes some dedication for your parents to be cool with you getting into playing drums. Yes, I was very lucky. My parents let me keep a drum set in their living room for a long time. There's no uh-huh. like basements or there's not really any functional attics either in California, in LA. That's what I'm hearing. There's no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> so, garages. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so it, this was living room. It was right in the living room. Uh-huh. And they, until very recently, actually. And uh-huh. uh, they just kind of let me 
uh, slam on it <laughs> for a while. So, like, as you're as you're getting into like high school years, like, who are you kind of latching on to mm. musically? I was, I think, I was like kind of a jerk about music in high school because, really? like, well, I feel like whatever what, you knew everything. I, I was like into old records and I you know the jazz program at my high school was really Mm -hmm. um, involved and so I was like listening to all this old jazz and listening to like all the old soul records and like kind of really learning the like history of the drums and Mm -hmm. like trying to get that stuff together who who would you say if if you had to pick like two or three jazz drummers this is really hard because our our Blakey's cool I like that guy very cool but like Everybody, that's like saying my, you like Miles Davis, kind of, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he definitely oh, like started the, uh-huh. he started the uh, a, a tradition that is still yeah around. Um, I really liked Max Roach. Oh yeah, he's like he really plays on musical. all those Blue Note records, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I liked Philly Joe, who was playing with Miles for a long time, and oh, has okay. kind of this very like old loose thing. And Elvin, do Elvin Jones was like mm-hmm. also kind of wild, crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like this dude Ari Honig Honig for a while, who's a newer drummer, and okay. he like tunes all his drums so he can like play melodies on them, and oh, that was like really fascinating yeah, towards yeah, the yeah. end of high school for me. But you're, so you're diving in was uh, I guess like you know more music that's in the vein of like what you're doing now with Illuminati Hotties. Mm-hmm. Was that did that come to you later or that probably was like uh, my freshman or sophomore year of high school. Uh-huh. Well, okay, in middle school. I was very into like punk and ska. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're in LA, of yeah. course. Right. So kind of deeply in this like punk and pop punk world uh-huh. and, and ska, I guess. <laughs> and then like, I like tried to refine a little and like hang on to like what I liked about the musicality of like lots of instruments and whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think like, you know, in probably when I was like 14 or 15, I really sort of like got interested in like the indie rock world and like you know pitchfork was oh was the bible at the time Uh of all of that and was like making or breaking bands and so that's really i think when i got into that style of music who were you think were your were your top top dogs in in that realm this that's hard i think what are we talking like 2000 2007 or 8 maybe and he makes sense for you because he's got these huge arrangements Sufjan is the is the greatest of all time yeah yeah <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable yeah and then um, that, that record about his parents like fucking destroys true he, he honestly like if i could have a career that's even half of what Sufjan Stevens has done with his music, I feel mm. like I would really be confident in my life choices. Yeah, for um, sure. He does really so much with music and with art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and he kind of like lives a modest life as far as I know. Like, I think he just kind of hangs and yeah. writes. And It seems like, too, that he's one of these people that he's gotten really deliberate with releasing things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just put things out for the sake of putting them out he's just comfortable with taking some time in between because he knows that he's gonna drop a powerhouse at some point yeah i love that that's that's a like a kind of career move that you can always respect do you do you see like where the recording aspect of things starts to develop is it is it in high school or do you have to you know i think i kind of came to it later Mm -hmm. i wish i knew more about it in high school but i really didn't other than like garage band or like right you know i think i like i had to like audition for colleges and make like tape 
an audition tape so like i had like some kind of small microphone like cheap you know right thing to just like hey hey there's nothing going on (laughs) there's nothing going on see chloe can't hear anymore so she (laughs) kind of just goes off of lily's body language and if lily gets like kind of intent and looking around chloe starts barking and then lily starts barking off of her oh my god see they're they're more in sync than they want to believe we have just just in the event we've got some dog food up here and a ziploc bag (laughs) just in case because she's telling me that she's hungry all the time i'm Mm -hmm, trying to work mm -hmm. her out of it yeah but um anyway so so you're performing then like in high school is it mostly like in band or are you going out and like playing like i don't know like combos and it was a little of both yeah i was Mm -hmm. it was in school band i had a a jazz combo outside of school Mm -hmm. that we kind of like finagled our way into That's some great, I weird so gigs. Dumb asking that question. No, no, yeah. we really did. It was called Half Dozen. Uh-huh. Oh, I was I like that. I'm still in touch with some of them, which is really cool. Uh-huh. Um, but uh so I also was kind of like towards the end of high school started playing with more like singer-songwriters and like mm-hmm. you know, people that are like more like the music that I listen to and am involved in now. Right. And um I don't know. There's like high school theater, like the pit band. I was always like mm-hmm. trying to do that gig, and like it's kind of like where you can apply mm-hmm. yourself. What did you, did you find like kind of for you? Was it most creatively stimulating to be doing like the combos? And because I'm yeah. sure you're given just so much room to kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, it was a real crash course in like learning to lead your own rehearsal and like making arrangements of songs that you liked and like mm-hmm. kind of figuring out how to like work in that team. And like, you know, same thing with like when I was playing with like a little, like mini songwriters or pop gigs or whatever here and right. there it was just sort of like, there was no rules anymore and no like charts you had to learn. Mm-hmm. Or like, so I was trying to play as much as possible and did sort of like, was like applying to college sort of being like, I want to perform. I want to be like a drummer. Mm-hmm. And then also like towards the end of like applying to colleges and stuff, I was like, well, also like maybe I should like look into the business side of things and figure that out. And then a little bit of like practical. Yeah. And then it kind of like devolved from there. Like once I got to college and I realized there was this whole studio world and there was this whole like this thing that I didn't really even think about existing like in a, for some reason like I obviously it's I knew how it happened there. but right. yeah you just need to like kind of form the connection mm-hmm. somehow yeah exactly and then you're looking back and you're like oh I didn't I think of that forever ago but you, you ended up you ended up at Berkeley yeah in Boston mm-hmm. and how long were you doing the performance thing do you think before you started well moving into the you have to do two years of like performance credits no matter what at oh, Berkeley so okay. you have to be you have to like play Mm -hmm. um but basically like halfway through the first year you kind of start looking at like the other majors and like I was sort of like doing some assisting like with friends who were in the studio program and Mm -hmm. really was like fascinated by producing and all the stuff that comes with that and so I started spending like way more time hanging out in the studios than I was practicing drums and then like moved to that major like pretty much at the end of the first year I think did you do you think you fell off on the or were you able to kind of just like fake it until you got to the end point where you it was acceptable for you to just be like all right I'm in the studio now yeah I think I mean I tried to keep up with it as much as I could but it just like sort of the way that the studio life works it it like 
really begs for a lot of your time and your attention and mm-hmm. it's it and so does practicing an instrument so right um, yeah, yeah yeah i definitely like was towards the end of it spending way more time like pushing buttons than <laughs> hitting drums which mm-hmm. which is what i wanted and and what i do so i've talked to a few people who did the berkeley program whether it was you know composition or performance and they all all describe it as being a pretty competitive world is that how you would describe your studio experience because it feels like that could be a lot more of like a communal thing than the like well there's only four bassoon players here so i don't want to be the fourth best bassoon player yeah yeah i feel like the studio program was very collaborative it was small Mm -hmm. like you had to like do another you had to apply to be in that program and like so I feel like the people that were in it were really like all assisting on each other's sessions. And like, I had a job at the studio office. So I was like giving out keys and microphones all the time to people. And I just kind of met all the kids that were in the program. And mm-hmm. I still, I think, you know, we're like still recommending each other for jobs and like calling each other in on stuff. Like right. I call Berkeley engineers all the time for stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like you're, you're so tight knit that mm-hmm. it's like, well, I know what this person is capable of. Yeah. I mean, is it, once you're out in like the working world, is there still that aspect of, well, you got to go and you got to put time in here before you're going to get jobs? Or is it like, well, you've been doing this at Berkeley for two years, so you can probably go and like figure out where to put, at least just put this drum microphone. Yeah. It's a little of both. I think like there is sort of an old school thing in like the bigger, larger format studios of like, you need to start from the bottom and because they when they started when they opened they were like getting runners that were like high schoolers who never touched a microphone Mm -hmm. and they were just teaching you from the ground up how to be like the next big engineer and now there are programs at berkeley and at other schools where you have access to gear and you have access to big consoles and you like have years of experience already going into the studio world Mm -hmm. so it's a little of both i think that there are some places where you kind of you have to cut your teeth and then like there's some situations where people are like, okay, like we'll kind of like test it out. And like, if it looks like, you know, as you're doing, then like, I don't, you don't yeah. need to like go get coffee every day necessarily, you know? Right. Cause you're like, it's, it'll become apparent pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just do the thing and stay out of the way in certain situations mm-hmm. because like, it's like LA and Nashville are kind of the that's where the studio model like really starts right definitely yeah there was yeah i mean in new york they had some stuff going on but those all those big ones had started to kind of close one at a time and Mm -hmm. la and nashville seem like they've been able to like maintain well la has maintained these like kind of big like giant expensive studios still nashville has a few but they also are like kind of killing it in the like want like a step above like a personal studio but like still kind of in like a yeah house sure. or something like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like really pro studios that are just like a part of somebody's yeah thing my friend uh my friend alex good friend friend of the show he mm-hmm. he uh he produced our live episode um he worked at john rich's studio mm. john rich of big and rich save a horse ride a cowboy oh my gosh <laughs> yeah and he his when I met him, he had like just moved from Nashville and and we were working together and he was just describing his experience there of just like, yeah, I mean, I was setting up microphones, but I was also like 
you know, taking the garbage out and, yeah. and things like that. You have to do that in the studio. Like, no matter what, you know, like, the job I had for, like, most of my time in L.A. was an engineering for this guy, Chris Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I got to do, ama- like, amazing stuff and work with amazing people and put my hands on great music. Um, and, you know, there's still, there's still, like, a moment where it's like, okay, let's get lunch. Right. And, you know, the band has to stay and play and Chris mm-hmm. is producing so right. he's like can't just like step out and yeah yeah, yeah. so the natural so thing that, is right like, for sure and there's no I think there's no ego involved and if there like you can't you know being in the studio is almost equally a customer service job now mm-hmm. especially as an engineer as a producer there's a little more like creative weight that you get to throw around which is fun but yeah you know, you're, you're still, like, the client is the artist, and, like, you're just trying to make the easiest conduit for their art, so. Is it something that is, it, it feels like you have a really good understanding of, of that kind of pecking order, if you will. Is that mm-hmm. something that you, like, do they kind of teach you that, or are you just kind of there and, like, just understanding, like, yeah, this is, like, this is the way that it goes here, and, yeah. I mean, it could be a lot worse what you're doing. It could be. There's a little bit of both. I think there's like a lot of horror stories that float around about like mm-hmm. when you're an assistant engineer or a runner or whatever. Um, but it's also just like being chill and like knowing that like you can't walk in there and like tell like the the star of the session what right. to do. Or you know, as a first day. Because you're working, <laughs> you're working with Chris at at Sunset Studio, which mm-hmm. is like this legendary yeah spot. Sunset Sound yeah. Um, yeah, Sunset Sound, and um, and then you're also at Woodshed in Malibu, yeah, which is like Woodshed, yeah. a resort. Woodshed where, was crazy. <laughs> yeah, because what you got, you got, you got Barbara Streisand, you got like Gaga's there, Coldplay, yeah. and you. I'm guessing your job is to like essentially place things somewhere and then just not look anyone in the eyes and and walk away or well, is, I mean, it's a little bad, right yeah not that no i mean woodshed in particular is, was a really special place and um they have like a really specific clientele of people who like can right. do uh-huh. the malibu studio thing and yeah. um they can also like bring their their sous chef with them to yes to say that. <laughs> i looked at that website and i was just like oh my God, it's I mean, very special. It's like it's kind of like the Illuminati, right? Like you, <laughs> once you dive in, you're like, you're like, oh wow. I mean, I knew it. Well, I guess Illuminati doesn't exist, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It's like I knew it existed, but like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It's a really that place is really cool, and they've really built like kind of a community for those artists, I think. And that was much more of like an assistant engineering job, where it was like usually like you know. Barbara Streisand rolls in with her own engineer for sure, who's mm-hmm. been her engineer for right more longer than I've been alive, possibly. Yeah, that was an interesting <laughs> thing that like I kind of had to like put together. I'm like, well, who's like the who's the who's the person here? And and like, oh, well, Rick Rubin worked here, but like, what is that? And so it's just like, yeah, these people all know who's coming with them and who's yeah. taking care of it. It's not like they're going to you know the the proprietor's mm-hmm. place to work with that proprietor or whoever is like on the schedule that week yeah that place in particular is really and and you know most studios at large are sort of built that way where it's like it is built to be rented out by a certain level of clientele and Mm -hmm. like those people usually have their people and like often they they'll ask for 
an engineer on staff or something. So like every once in a while you find yourself in the chair with somebody really mm -hmm. crazy at the microphone, but a lot of them do like kind of roll with their own crew. And then as an assistant engineer, you're there to just like make sure it works and set stuff up and uh, troubleshoot if the computer goes down and like totally. make sure everybody's happy and comfy and able to do the thing. And mm -hmm. then the job with Chris, um, it was much more, was, you know, actually engineering and actually making records go off. And, right. And, and yeah. you get to work with what? Slow dive. Slow dive came Beach through. Eamon Dunes. Eamon Dunes. That, that, that record was, record was really good. good. It was really fun. Um, and I, that has to be, I'm looking at that and, and seeing like, okay, you've got two ends on, on a spectrum, uh, to a certain extent here. And, um, one of these seems to be creatively stimulating and the other one is like, well, this is probably just a good ass gig. Yeah. Um, it was know, good. Is it a good balance? Or? Yeah, it was a good balance. I think like, you know, when you first get out, the goal is to just like stack up credits in whatever form you can mm -hmm. and get, build your like resume of like names that you've worked yeah. with because weirdly, like sometimes it, to some people, if if you haven't worked with anybody, like it almost doesn't matter how good you are in a weird way. Like sure. even if you can like run your way around a studio and like produce amazing music, like sometimes people want to hear the like name thing just mm. to like, you know, for whatever reason, like have something to reference. Right. Right. Um, you've also got this sound design credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why, yes, why, it was oh. a very exciting. Well, it was a very, it's a weird, it's, it was it's a weird Hamilton one. It's the Hamilton soundtrack. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that pops up like pretty often. Where it does come it, up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to explain to some schlob like, well, this is what I did because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this numbskull like doesn't understand sound design i'm not me i, I know what sound design is, but <laughs> yeah you like, got the mic set up right yeah. exactly oh you do i was getting some crackling audio on go. here yeah yeah and then i was like oh you know what it is oh it's change the, bit the cable rate. oh the, the bit, bit rate. rate the bit rate the sample rate because i changed the cable because <laughs> yeah so 24 16 oh yeah there you go they oversimplify this shit though because mm -hmm. i have to figure out like well how do i change that and mm -hmm. it's just like oh you have to you have to deselect the box that says do you want the best thing possible mm -hmm. no is what i want mm -hmm. anyway so sound design on on hamilton soundtrack um which i looked into i looked into it a little bit and it's kind of like you're you're given demos right yeah and you kind of like pop yeah, them up yeah. a little bit exactly um that was kind of one of the weirdest craziest gigs i like i definitely don't want to i mean we all know hamilton is sort of this like incredible mm -hmm. creation of the 21st century now when when I was working for this producer Will Wells at nice, the time, it's kind of a cool thing to say, right? Like I, I mean, it's really I'm mm -hmm. not really into the musical Broadway world at yeah, all. I know nothing about creation it. <laughs> of the 21st century. It, it, it that's very not special. that's not hyperbolic. Yeah. yeah, and it's I was you know by the time it all was done, I got to see it in New York, and it was I was totally blown away. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, because um, it was just like you know what are you what are you given there? What are you told? this is mm -hmm. yeah so that's the craziest part i was working for this producer will wells at the time who is now a great friend and mentor and he had previously done work with alex lackamore who was the musical director and wrote a lot of the stuff in hamilton or the music in hamilton mm -hmm. um and alex asked will to 
sort of like beef up the samples and like the you know because it's like a hip-hop show so there's all these drums that happen that are all triggered on samples live and like keyboard sounds that just you don't they don't exist like with real instruments so yeah yeah or like and it can't sound like you know can't sound like shit it's gonna mm-hmm. sound big especially for like a theater and mm-hmm. an opera house yeah so alex sent us all these like logic demos and a lot of them like i think even he himself was rapping on it wasn't even um lynn on on some of them uh-huh. and uh so i'm like listening to this stuff and like replacing all these drum samples with like kind of like bigger cooler equally accomplishing mm-hmm. drums or whatever and like i'm like what is this like is a like a musical about right, american right. history but like rap uh-huh. who is gonna buy this <laughs> right <laughs> which is like i remember like talking to my mom and being like yeah i'm working on this thing like it's not like it's educational maybe mm-hmm. but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um like you remember that song you know conjunction junction what's your function i think it's like his like nephew or something like i don't know yeah and then here it is well and and that's wild mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. like you you talk about having a name that's just on your on your selected discography now it's crazy all right cool yeah well i'm set so i guess my you know my question is we just covered like a significant portion of time are you still writing during that time are you still like where's where's creating your own thing kind of is that at the bottom yeah i mean i think i'm i always am sort of writing and creating and trying to find local bands or smaller bands to like produce and Mm -hmm. like get in the studio with and like kind of you know while I was working with Chris, I was able to get in the studio, his studio after hours or like if he was out of town, I just spent as much time and like took my friend's bands in whenever I could. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. And it's amazing. Like, you know, Chris, Chris rents this like back house. That's like a part of the Sunset Sound parking lot. And mm-hmm. so like we have all the Sunset Sound gear that we have access to. And just like it was an amazing sort of way to to practice and like get yeah. great sounds and like you know really truly work on like sort of the the best stuff and learn how to use it uh-huh. um better <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah I, all the while you know I've, I've always been sort of like writing and observing and collecting little bits and making songs and um and my friends were always like really encouraging and like were like anytime like we had a chance to like share songs and i'd play something they're like dude like why how come you don't Mm-hmm. play like or right. have a band or whatever and i was always like oh because i'm scared like i don't like ugh, i'm a studio rat like i'm not trying to like be on stage in front of people and whatever uh-huh. and um uh, yeah like i i'm cool down here yeah doing my thing right? yeah and kind of i really love the like directing a creative vision and like already having source material you know yes. like yeah. somebody comes in and says like these are my songs like how do we make the best record? You right. Know? It's like you get to kind of function as, as the editor. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. So it's all of a sudden I was like, ah, oh, yeah, like maybe I'll just like produce some of these songs. And mm-hmm. so they're, happens. they're kind of, they're building, they're mm-hmm. developing, uh, over the course of your like kind of post college. Yeah. I mean, again, sort of like had been writing forever. Um, and then I think like, got a little more serious about it after college or sort of in the middle of college I think I got more serious about writing but not performing still and then like Uh post-college was sort of like 
maybe I can like my friends doing a house show. They need like somebody to like open it up. Like maybe I'll play yeah, a couple. I'm playing like I'll <laughs> play like four or five of them. And yeah. Then, um, it, it, I guess it's interesting because you know what you are, what you're doing is. In a lot of ways, it's remarkable the the things that you've kind of found yourself being able to do professionally so quickly out of of college. Um, And then looking into Kiss Your Frenemies, there's this sentiment of like, okay, well, is there something else I should be doing? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that how how persistent do you think that is, or is it kind of just like the like kind of the bubbling over of like the all right, I want to be able to like do this too? Yeah, I think it's a little of both, and I think after college, it's like really confusing. Like you know, for for the most part, not everybody, but I think like for the most for like the majority of people's lives, we're sort of like on this track, and it's like you turn six or whatever, and you go to kindergarten, and then mm-hmm. you like do the whole school system thing all the way to twelfth grade, usually, it, um, and in most like definitely in most suburban, right, yeah, cases, and then, you know, if you can or if you want to, you go to college, and then like you you basically have all these like landmarks to hit that Mm -hmm. are like mainstream sort of like this is what has to happen right yeah and then finally when you if you graduate college when you graduate college you like are out in the world and you're kind of like okay like nobody's telling me what i need to do anymore right like and it kind of it it it, no no matter what you're doing it it applies it's Mm -hmm. it's like yeah like sure i did just like you know work with porches in a, in a studio mm-hmm. that like the freaking rolling stones were in but at the same time like there's no uh there's no end of the semester where someone's like good good yeah. you're just like all right you're just completely like self-reliant on all of that definitely yeah so what what do you think makes you kind of overcome you have this like this feeling of not wanting to perform and not wanting to see yourself that way and is it just the fact that people are telling you over and over again I think it I think that that was really encouraging and like made me feel safer doing it but I think that it really was sort of a matter of like okay like I put a lot into this music and I really like some of these how some of these songs are turning out Mm -hmm. and like maybe it'd be fun to try it with a band and like see what happens and play around LA and like you know i I'm pretty involved in like the LA local scene in terms of just like going to shows and seeing bands play all the time and like hang out, whatever. But I was like, yeah, you know, like I know these people, like one of them can throw me on a bill and maybe Mm -hmm. I'll just like kind of see what it feels like and push my boundaries of like what it means to be a musical musicer. (laughs) So at at first it's just you. Uh, Yeah. So definitely like the first, well, it was like pre-Illuminati hotties. I don't think mm-hmm. I was calling it that. Yeah. I just was sort of like playing some songs. And right at the end of school, we had like a final project. And mm-hmm. like you could basically the final project was like for the program that I was in was like um, pick an artist and like produce an EP for them. Wow. So I did it for my own stuff. And that was like the first time that I was kind of like, oh, like I got songs. Like I don't yeah. need to have somebody else. Yeah. I'll just make these songs that i am strumming on guitar into like mm-hmm. a record what um <laughs> uh, any of those tracks end up like nah, nah. those are long uh-huh, somewhere uh-huh. deep on the we, internet we, maybe we, yeah sure <laughs> but, sure sure um yeah so like that was kind of the first time i got a taste of it and it was really fun 
and then I just got involved with like making other people's records for a while and uh-huh. writing on the side. And yeah. then I was like, maybe I'll try it again. Like I have this collection of songs that's sort of starting to like fit this vibe and like I can play them with a band instead of like before I wrote much more just like sad girl strummy, you mm-hmm. know, music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's fun. And I guess, cause you, you kind of get in there and you, you talked about, the access that you had to you know be able to do this on your own time like Mm -hmm. with you know equipment that is uh just at your disposal yeah um i was really lucky about that for sure yeah i mean i was working you know it wasn't it wasn't like waltzing in but Uh definitely um that's sort of the pro and con of like doing the like early engineer studio grind is like your hours are crazy mm-hmm. your pay is not great but you have this like world of studio that's open post midnight you know mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you got and you got people and you got people mm-hmm. that are around so do you go in and say like all right i'm gonna make an lp i'm gonna make a full-length record yeah. and i guess like with that like what kind of pressure is there that you're putting on it because a lot of it is is I, I i love this aspect of just like i'm just gonna see mm-hmm. are you able to hold that like throughout the process of making the thing a little i mean now i think based on y- how this record sort of was released and received i think there's like a little i feel a little more pressure about whatever the next one's gonna be right but now you got eyes on you yeah a little uh, more than i did for sure uh-huh. and um I think at first I just really was making it as like a calling card because it was like if I had something to like play for people and mm-hmm. be like this is what I can do then like I could convince more bands to want to like work with me. Right. You know, instead of just like my friends, now I have this thing and I'm like, "Yo, this is my band. I made the whole record." Like mm-hmm. we could probably do something like it or That's you know. interesting. Mm-hmm. It was more of like a yeah, a calling card. Uh-huh. And then I and then you know, I had a couple my friend Jake mostly was sort who um the, is involved in the music world was sort of like, mm-hmm. dude, these are good. Like yeah. you should show them to people. Uh-huh. Like you shouldn't just drop them on Bandcamp and like go on your way. Like I think So this you could... whole the whole thing is done. And you're just you're just doing it mm-hmm. to have it done. Yeah. And oh my god. <laughs> I I it makes so much sense because I think that what is so abundantly clear about Kiss Your Frenemies is that you had a lot of fun making it. Thanks. I did. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it presents itself in two ways. You've got these energetic rock songs where you are just playing. You, they're such loose takes mm-hmm. and they're, they're representative of you know a a track that's that's put together by just like having a good time laying it down and then you have these quiet songs like cheese and mm-hmm. patience where you get i get the sense that it's like all right i got a guitar line i got a vocal melody and i'm gonna build around that definitely yeah and that's gotta be for you that's like that's where it is yeah it's really cool in this way that's like you know pop producers sort of have this opportunity to like build a track from nothing and like you know it's all about the like crazy sounds and the new drums and like what is Mm -hmm. weird and different and 
a lot of indie rock records, which I love dearly, but you know, I think where they fall short is like they it's just like they're four friends and they're in a room and they they play their songs and they're great songs mm-hmm. and that there's like amazing emotion and like I love listening to those records, but they haven't yet figured out that like you can suspend disbelief when you're making a record because yeah, you sure. can kind of like you mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to like put it in the computer or on tape or whatever and then like flip it and turn it around and do weird stuff and like add and chop and um i think that's like the craft of like making records like that and right, it, right. or like the way that pop producers sort of approach it is really exciting to me even though i don't really speak in the like top 40 language when i'm right tracks. right and i think i think like like the the vibe that you're able to create is like than ever it's just like all right cool let's make this as sunny as possible mm-hmm. and then you know the rules it's like all right you know two acoustics on both sides mm-hmm. and building things from underneath it and like just fully exploring the emotion of you know even just the like minor chord changes that happen within it yeah it's i think part of it is definitely just like trying to push my own producerness and then like Mm -hmm. part of it is also like you know i i think there's a little bit of self-consciousness in a way where like i don't know if i could ever get away with like making I, like I think it's hard to look at your own songs and be like, "This is good enough to just play guitar and sing it." Like, right, right, like for Emma forever ago or something. Like, yeah, and have sure. this like vulnerable. Well, like, he didn't think so either. That was right. Like yeah. somebody's like, "No, dude, that's it." Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And so it, it's hard to like not want to put all the stuff, at least for a producer, <laughs> right, right, on it. Um, maybe some of that could have existed in a simpler way, but I definitely was like not trying to make just a band record or just like a guitar and singing one take mm-hmm. thing, you know? yeah because i think i think that what you what you end up doing is just you, like you flex in so many different ways there's that that motown pop on mm-hmm. um you know all just all the all the woos and things like mm-hmm. that and then you know it's like boy where it's a single mic in mm-hmm. a room and it's i i feel like you're kind of tipping your hat to the uh to the the shout out that you give to oberst yeah. on uh on paying paying off the happiness but boy Definitely. you know it's just got that like oh hell yeah like this happened at 3 a.m and oh you were kind of bummed out when you were doing that take yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that stuff is magical too and i think like when you can pull that off or when it happens it's it's worth holding on to and there are so many records of friends where i've heard the demos mm-hmm. for, for like, like they send me like demos or something and then like then the record comes out and i'm like oh my god i can't believe they like played that song with a band it was so beautiful yeah, and it's like voice sure. note version mm-hmm. which you know i think everybody's trying to like make their stuff sound as pro as possible but yeah some of those things are really special too and you can pull them off and it's hard to tell as an artist what those what where to go when to do that you know i, I guess like for you in your producer's chair on that is it was it easy to maintain a separation that's the hardest part i I mean i think you know being a producer and the the artist that you're producing is totally schizophrenic and there's a lot of running Mm -hmm. back and forth between rooms to like hear what it sounds like on speakers versus what you thought you were playing and right um, sure and like kind of creating and then also having to be like objective and be like oh this is maybe this isn't gonna work or like maybe we should chase this and i was really lucky 
for a lot of it, I had my friend Colin Pastor who mm-hmm. mixed, mixed the record. Um, he was like in LA and so he was hit and record for me and like right. he's always sort of been like a person for me to bounce songs off of and was one of the main sort of like encouragers of me uh-huh. fo- following this thing. He through. can be the one that like kind of like holds you by the belt when mm-hmm. you're when you're like fishing into the river. That's exactly it. I think Colin is I I I don't think he'll be mad at me for saying this if he happens to hear it, but Colin is like or at least was for a long time like the the sort of like squarest most middle of the road producer in 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 a great way. I right. mean like yeah, just like totally. knows the classics and like mm-hmm. knows what works. And so and on the other end I was sort of like you know, doing this crazy sound collage, like reaching for anything, throwing all, throwing it all into the computer and mm-hmm. seeing what happens and mixing stuff around. And so like, there was a lot of me being like, let's do this. Ah! And like, yeah, yeah. Colin being like, well, like maybe you should sure. just, mm. and then or me being like, like, yeah, like you, <laughs> you want it to be the sound that's in your head. You want yeah. like this specific thing to, you know, like be understated and, and he's there and it's just like, it's just not. It's mm-hmm. just not working. It's just yeah. not giving you what you want it to. I get what you want it to be, but yeah. we just got to look at it how it is here. Totally. And it was great to have him to bounce stuff off of. And sort of like where we met in the middle, I think, was like the most successful songs on the record was like when he was like, mm, maybe we should just play it. And I was like, no, man, like we got to do this like 10 miles away. And then uh-huh. we kind of like where it landed was like somewhere to one side or the other or the right, middle right, right, and yeah that's what's like, like plus or minus two mm-hmm. from the middle yeah um you know lyrically you're so sp- specific yeah. and i enjoy <laughs> that very thoroughly um and, and that feels deliberate too mm-hmm. is there so what's what's guiding you there is it that you are you're just trying to reflect exactly what's happening or you're like all right saying you know an emotion here is good in the traditional sense but um maybe if i say parliaments mm. right there that'll function way better than yeah um I, I mean i think like a lot of the writers that i really admire write with extreme specificity right. like well, to sufyan yeah yeah with to an <laughs> uh-huh. almost like uh like too much degree you know or it's sure, like you're like sure. whoa like some uh-huh. people listen to those kind of writers and are like okay i need to like yeah you like walk outside. you like sun kill moon i do like sun kill moon he that, i mark Koz- mark Kozelik is like a, a little yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some songs that he's got that are just flooring and that then there are some Benji, that I, you know that, that record yeah yeah oh, fuck it's yeah it's beautiful. That, yeah, when he's just like, you know, talking about breakfast and right. like walking. Like, and... like I got I to gotta pee 30 times a day. And it's like, yeah, that sounds, <laughs> uh, that sounds like a thing, Mark. Yeah, or like Mount Erie, you know, uh, like oh, writes this yeah, stuff that's sure. like so beautiful and specific. And it's just like, you. I mean, I listened to Crow Looked at Me once and I was sort of mm-hmm. like, I got to take a walk and like. I love this record, and I don't think I can ever listen to it again. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I I, I bought that, mm-hmm. and I and I bought it because I, I bought it because I wanted to go home and listen to it. And I my thought was, someday in six years, you're going to want to listen to it again. Exactly. <laughs> no yeah. time in between. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that stuff is like the most sort of lyrically special stuff to me. Is like the more specific you can get 
in a weird way like lets people in more like mm-hmm. you, if you say some broad universal statement it just kind of like washes over everyone and right and then you yeah, said it and whatever right. but if you like really give them the like you know they're looking through the the lock in the the keyhole in the door at your nightstand with like a half drink coffee cup and your pen yeah. cap is off and the bed's unmade and they're right. like oh my god what's going on here instead of just like giving them the whole window like, yeah you know? that's there's that i think it's a lovely little girl of mine by ray charles where he says every morning when i wake up she brings me coffee in my favorite cup mm-hmm. and it's like yeah dude i got a favorite cup you know and i got somebody <laughs> it's it's like it's the the idea that the universal emotion it kind of glosses over you but if you say something so specific about yourself people are going to think about their own specific things exactly and even if they yeah you know everybody's got attachment to certain details and even if like they don't smoke parliaments or Mm -hmm. cigarettes at all it's like they know they know who that person is you know what i mean they're like oh yeah like i know that person i know the cigarettes they're smoking Mm -hmm. i know how their jacket smells yeah sure you know so is that is that you is it 100%? Is it 80%? Is it is it pretty close? I think um, someone told me to not let truth get in the way of your art mm-hmm. once. And I think that was sort of the wisest yeah. thing I've ever heard regarding creating. Um, and again, I, I sort of... You don't have to say. We can <laughs> leave it. I, I like it, though. And I Thank think that's you. a really good way to go about it. Yeah. To, to be like, all right you know this specific thing happened to me if i change the color of my shoes it's gonna work out so much better exactly i will say i am a terrible liar and i think that there is a lot of lyric on this album that uh-huh. was just uh, you know there's like there oh, you could you can invent details like that and i have and i do mm-hmm. but well isn't think, that kind of the magic of it though yeah. is that like yeah maybe you and like the i mean 35 people that worked on the record with you know but (laughs) (laughs) but i don't i just get a sense of like who you are and 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 you know the the person that you portray yourself and and i attach to it just Mm -hmm. like just like the fucking that room the goddamn hideout you filled it up last night it was so fun i was really happy (laughs) to be there for that because um it was really fun to see you as um you know a you're really good at at uh holding a room Thanks. you have a really good like it's it's funny that you talked about having the performance anxiety yeah and then you're out there having fun and inviting people to have fun yeah and also participate in the tender moments of that set definitely i mean i think having many more shows under my belt since mm-hmm. since i first started of course has helped immensely and sort of like like if i can think about where we were a year ago just like the difference in show mm-hmm. showmanship on me and everybody in the band's levels have have dramatically risen just because we've played so many times now together. Yeah. But also the thing I think that like made me not afraid anymore was I just was like, like I'm on the stage, but like we're all in the room and like it doesn't have to feel like I'm on the stage, you know, mm-hmm. like. I want to be, if I'm in the audience, I want to be partying and I want to like be partying with that person that's like leading the party. Totally. So like if I'm on the stage, then, and I can kind of get people to like buy into the, 
the thing I'm and like to, feel like I, we're I'm all here to entertain you it's yeah like part yeah of the exchange and i'm gonna do my best to like live up to my part of it mm -hmm. and also like we are still here in a small room mm -hmm. and that's amazing mm -hmm. yeah so when you when you put it up on Bandcamp, it was it um people are, are telling you like hey try to try to shop it a little bit is that how tiny engines gets involved so uh, mostly when I talked to my friend Jake, who at the time was doing PR work at a company, and he had, pre, you know, formerly been an intern at mm -hmm. Beggar's Group, and he kind of like had this really interesting, and he's young, and he just kind of has followed his dream to the nth degree, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, he, I like asked him for advice, and I like kind of showed it to him and was like, what do you think? Like, I know that you kind of are involved with like labels on a larger scale and like... And he's like, yeah, man, like, I'll send this to whoever I can. And, like, you should send it to whoever you can find the email address of on the Internet. And mm -hmm. so then I had, like, a short list of smaller labels that, like, have, like, submissions open or whatever. And Tiny mm -hmm. Engines was one of them. And they happened to get back to me and yeah, say that they liked the record and they were, like, trying to make it happen. That's so great. And mm -hmm. they, they've gotten – it's amazing to me because, you know, Tiny Engines – I've been following since like the sixth release or whatever. Wow. And what they've been able to do where they are now in a position of being able to bolster so many different types of bands mm -hmm. into a position where like this record comes out and I f just feel like it had such a great word of mouth value. Mm -hmm. And now you're kind of reaping the, not only were people being introduced to it for, you know, the second half of 2018 or whatever but you also were the like oh damn illuminati honey's made that stereo gum list that's cool yeah all these you know i feel like there's that that end of the year like surge where it's like oh oh i missed that one oh let me check it out and mm -hmm. it gets this whole new life bred into it yeah 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 it, it was like it was kind of crazy you know tiny engines is is three people and it's all run out of will's house and um it's a small operation and will does all the the press himself and he sends it out and pitches it to you know the stereo gums and the pitchforks and whatever and sort of like the most surprising part was these like random like like it got on all songs considered almost like in a weird fluke way where like uh -huh. the intern for all songs considered um like showed it to Robin and Bob and we're like, Hey, like, this is a great song. Do you guys want to like, can uh -huh. we talk about it on all songs? And, and then it was, and then like me and Will were emailing each other, like, Hey, I guess the song's on NPR today. Like, <laughs> so like there was kind of this uh -huh. combination of like weird word of mouthy, like mm -hmm. ended up in weird places. And then also, you know, Will and Chuck and Carl working really hard at like, yeah, just backing the album and pushing it out as much as they could. And, it was it was awesome. Um, it's amazing. But yeah, I'm really impressed. You like are I feel like you're like a research nerd like me, and you've do dove deep. That's into what like this, this is. And yeah, this that's and what like, this is. That's cool. It's like yeah, um, I miss being in in college, mm -hmm. and this is like me being able to dive in on on that, and then you know have a like end of the process being able to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, it's, um, you know, this uh, this record, it did 
a lot of very good things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it is really cold out there. It's a little cold, especially for me. <laughs> I got some great sunshine out of it, and then oh. I was able to get some really good, like, you know, I'm a, I'm going to, like, hit these winter blues a little bit. It's That's nighttime. Awesome. I'm going to put this song on in my headphones, yeah. listen to it a couple times. Thanks. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for listening. Um. <laughs> so I guess now it's it's kind of a funny position that you alluded to earlier where it's like all right i did so much of this accidentally and now i got people i would say accidentally i don't want, i don't mean to jump in but i right. think like yeah it while there were a lot of things that happened that i wasn't expecting mm-hmm. i don't think that any of it was like a fluke and i think that i just don't want to like perpetuate the like artist falling into for like sure. a for sure a magic moment and which that, happens but yeah, i yeah, think yeah. like i worked really hard on it and i like have been in the new year trying to give myself more credit than i'm i'm used to being like oh yeah yeah, you know like kind of pushing off the thing and i think like one of my resolutions was sort of to like give credit where credit is due on all fronts and like part of that was like looking at what i've done in 2018 and being like you know what like we worked really hard to do this thing fuck yeah (laughs) so give it up to yourselves people who are listening that's so good (laughs) that's so good um and obviously i didn't mean accidentally it just fell out but Mm -hmm. you put something together that's great thank you and um and there there's so much good energy that like continues to flow out of it and I like hope that you never let anything get in the way of that. You continue to have fun Thanks. and I'm going to be listening, you know, on into the future very excitedly. Thank you. Um so you are going to stick around. We're going to talk about the rules a little bit yes. in depth on yes. uh our Patreon, but aside from that, dude, thank you so much. Thank for you. This was really fun. Awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, hey, great stuff, Sarah, owning it and repping it, the work that she put into making Kiss Your Frenemies, the guard that gets shed as she allows herself to go all in and to believe in what she created, and with good reason. This is a record that sounds great when you're blasting it in the car and just as great on a pair of big headphones. This talk was such a nice recharger for me, seeing Illuminati hotties the night before, doing the interview, those full circle moments, always my favorite. Thanks to Sarah for coming by. Future is bright for her. I believe that very thoroughly. Check out Illuminati Hotties online. IlluminatiHotties.bandcamp.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, rate it, write a review, tell a friend about the show. We are on Bandcamp, better yet, podcast.bandcamp.com. Email is betteryetpodcast at gmail.com. The website is betteryetpod.com. Patreon, here Sarah and I dive deep on the rules. Sign yourself up for some coffee and much more over at patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Sarah and Shannon. Thank you, Jay. You keep me cool. Do you know how long Isaac Hayes spent writing hits for Sam and Dave, playing in the Stax band on all those Memphis soul records before he stood up and said, hey, it's my turn. 
And would you look at what he did? My word, I'll leave you with it. Come back next week. Thanks, Bubba.